I'm your host, Austin Wright. Welcome to the Upon the Rock Podcast. One of the fundamental differences between Catholicism and Protestantism is their foundations, where they stand and what they stand upon. The difference in foundations is determined by the authority to which each appeals and adheres to here on earth. For most Protestants, this final and ultimate authority would be Holy Scripture by following the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, whereas for Catholics, it would be a coupling of Scripture, Tradition, and the authority of the Magisterium, which the Magisterium, while being led by the Holy Spirit in sacred tradition, and in accordance with its God-given authority, interprets Holy Scripture in service of the faithful. Now, for Protestants, Sola Scriptura, even though it can follow different formulations, different definitions, depending on who you're talking to, for the most part, can be described under three connecting points, starting with the initial basis that Scripture isn't the only authority um, for creeds, confessions, and denominational catechisms do exist and are abided by, but that scripture is the ultimate and final authority insofar that scripture is the Christian's sole infallible rule for determining what we are to believe and how we are to live. Scripture is materially sufficient, meaning that everything God wants us to know is fully present in the pages of the Bible. And finally, that scripture is formally sufficient, meaning that what the Bible teaches is sufficiently and plainly clear um, insofar that no magisterium or teaching authority is necessarily to formally define or declare Christian doctrine. So, Reformed theologian Robert Goffrey put it this way, The Protestant position and my position is that all things necessary for salvation and concerning faith and life are taught in the Bible clearly enough for the ordinary believer to find it there and understand it. Now, we will unpack all of this and some of the issues with this formulation because um, I do want to start a series on Sola Scriptura. It'd probably be a four, maybe five-part series just to go through this belief system. Um, but I guess we should go back to the founder, Martin Luther, and what he said, uh, where his mind was when he was formulating this belief system. So Martin Luther, uh, the founder of Sola Scriptura, said in 1521 at the Diet of Worms in Germany, he stated as such, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. God help me. Because of this belief system, Protestants on occasion can or will accuse the Catholic Church of superseding or outright ignoring scripture for the sake of a quote-unquote man-made doctrines and quote-unquote traditions of men uh, that they claim have no scriptural roots. For most Protestants, um, they will hold to the criteria that there is no need for an earthly authority to, the, to direct the faithful. 
nor that it is possible, according to Scripture, for there to be an earthly, unifying, authoritative interpreter uh, for all of the faithful Christians to adhere to. In response to this particular stance, Catholic Answers senior apologist Jimmy Aiken wrote in an article based on this topic titled Sol Scriptura and Private Judgment, where he said, Ever since the earliest days of church history, Christians had held that theology must be formulated according to three principles, apostolic scripture, apostolic tradition, and the apostolic magisterium, the teaching authority of the church. The first two of these provided the data necessary to conduct theological investigation, while the third served to authoritatively formulate the correct interpretation of the data presented by the two material sources. Thus, scripture and tradition served as material principles of theology, while the magisterium, by enabling us to know with certainty the correct interpretation of this material, served as a formal principle of theology. Because the Protestant reformers wished to hold teachings which were completely foreign to historic Christian theology, they had to reject the historic Christian method of formulating theology, and thus could not continue to accept the three principles of scripture, tradition, and magisterium. They had to reject the teachings of the magisterium because the magisterium disagreed with them, and they likewise had to reject tradition as a source, for it also disagreed with them. They were thus left in the position of trying to formulate theology in terms of a single principle, scripture, and thus the doctrine of sola scriptura was born. So pretty much, since uh, Protestants rejected both tradition and the magisterium, they were left only with uh, scripture, which then opened up to a multiplicity of interpretations because there was no authority which to appeal to, only scripture, which doesn't interpret um, itself. And as we will go through, uh, scripture itself does not attest to be the ultimate authority, nor to be the only means by which a Christian should believe. Um, and so since this is the case, as we will you know, spell out within the series, then why should we accept such a teaching that it is the sole infallible rule? And how can Protestantism be justified in their accusation against Catholicism on quote-unquote man-made doctrines and belief system? And what exactly is the case for this belief? Have you been on the hunt for a high-quality Catholic gift for you or someone you know? Well, allow me to introduce you to The Catholic Company. They are the leading online Catholic retailer of high-quality books and gifts and have been in business for more than 20 years. Whether you need a new rosary, iconography for your prayer corner, religious art and statues for your home, faith-themed jewelry, or something to commemorate an event with someone's spiritual life in the church, the Catholic Company has it all. Right now, you can receive free shipping on all orders over $75. So what could you be waiting for? Check out the Catholic Company today. Use the link in the description below so they know we sent you. One of the first reactions by Sol Scriptura defendants is to point to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16-17, which says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is one of the verses which forms the line of defense for Martin Luther's doctrine of Sola Scriptura. But there is something missing here that we should want to see. The word sufficient isn't present in this verse, but rather the word profitable takes its place. 
If we're going to take scripture at face value, as Saul's scriptura dictates, then this verse is saying that scripture is beneficial, advantageous, and useful, and not that it is fully adequate for rules of faith and doctrine. In verse 14 of this epistle, Timothy is initially directed to keep to the oral teachings, the traditions, that he received directly from St. Paul. This coincides with Paul's reminder of the value of oral tradition in chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, which says, Follow the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, which is from chapter 2, verse 2. Paul is referring solely to oral teaching and reminds Timothy to adhere to that as the pattern for his own teaching. Only after this uh, is scripture mentioned as profitable for for Timothy's evangelism. Yes, scripture is God-breathed, but that does not mean that it cannot be twisted, even by those who are good-intentioned. St. John Henry Newman, um, who was alive from 1801-1890, he was a convert from Protestantism to Catholicism. And in his 1884 essay entitled Inspiration and Its Relation to Revelation, while addressing this passage of Scripture, he wrote, It is quite evident that this passage furnishes no argument whatever that sacred Scripture without tradition is the sole rule of faith. For, although sacred Scripture is profitable for these four ends, still it is not said to be sufficient. The Apostle Paul requires the aid of tradition. Moreover, The apostle here refers to the scriptures which Timothy was taught in his infancy. Now, a good part of the New Testament was not written in his boyhood. Some of the Catholic epistles were not written, even when Paul wrote this, and none of the books of the New Testament were then placed on the canon of the scripture. He refers then to the scriptures of the Old Testament, and if the argument from this passage proved anything, it would prove too much vis-a-vis that the scriptures of the New Testament were not necessary for rule of faith. So we see here, as St. John Newman points out, that only that the only scripture which Timothy would have been familiar with was the Old Testament. So again, if we are to hold the sola scriptura by direction of this verse, does this mean that only the Old Testament is sufficient? Is the Old Testament all that we need? By chronological context of Paul's writings, Second Timothy was not part of a ratified scriptural canon. The epistle only carried any weight at all and held any merit because it was exhorted by a living and authoritative apostle who was a member of and leader in the church that was led by the Holy Spirit. And that apostle spoke of scripture and tradition as he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, Stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Both the scriptures of the New Testament and sacred tradition flow from the ministry of the apostles. So why throughout tradition? An accompanying verse that Sola Scriptura adherents will often refer to is uh, the Gospel of John chapter 20 verse 31 which states, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. First, this verse from John refers only to that which was written in the gospel according to St. John. If you read this verse within context of the previous verse, which proves to be quite important when it comes to viewing the argument being made, you will see the flaw. And it goes like this. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, second, if the 30th verse proved anything, it would not be proving Luther's doctrine of sola scriptura in relation to all of scripture. It would only be, quote-unquote, proving that the gospel of John itself is sufficient if you're following the sola scriptura argument and taking it at face value. Um, but as we see, that kind of just falls apart. Thirdly, this passage from St. John's Gospel only tells us that this particular gospel account was written so the intended audience can be aided in believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It does not state that scripture is all that is necessary for salvation, much less that it is all we need for discerning and coming to know and understand theology and doctrine. In fact, nor does it say the Bible is even necessary to believe in Christ based upon you know, this verse. After all, the earliest Christians, up until the canon of Scripture was defined a couple centuries later, had no ratified New Testament canon to which they could appeal to. What was authoritative were the words of the apostles and those who the apostles were teaching to teach in their stead, as Paul is teaching Timothy to teach and how to um, grow his own ministry without Paul's presence. Because Timothy is given and granted the authority to preach by Paul, an apostle. That's where the authority is coming from, not just the written um, you know, words of the apostle, but the authority is coming from the apostle himself, not just the written words. Another verse misused as a foundation for soul scriptura is 1 Corinthians 4.6, which goes, I have applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us to not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. At first, this may seem like an irrefutable scriptural proof for the Reformation's belief system around the nature of Holy Scripture. However, there are a few issues with attempting to use this verse in particular, uh, which are similar to using John 21.31 and 2 Timothy 3.16. But for this, we will go a bit deeper since... When it happens to be used as a supportive verse for Protestant position, it's it's the gotcha verse for Catholics. I mean, against Catholics, um, rather. So, first and foremost, I think it is significant that one should recognize and realize that none of the Reformers, none of the Reformers, thought to use this particular verse to vindicate this Protestant belief. Even though that in and of itself isn't a fully sufficient refutation, it should st be, still be kept in mind that since the ones who quote-unquote reformed the church never attempted to use this as justification for their claims. In fact, their French reformer John Calvin says that St. Paul's use of the phrase what is written is most likely either him referring to the Old Testament verses which he uses within his epistle to the Corinthians or it is Paul referring to the actual epistle itself. So even though Calvin was a vehement supporter of Sola Scriptura and ferociously adverse to the Catholic claims of authority, he himself did not see 1 Corinthians as a grounds for support of his Reformed belief around the authority of Scripture. Um, there's not actually a set certainty amongst any Christian scholarly circles on what exactly St. Paul is referring to in chapter 4, verse 6. Some of the commenters um, who have speculated on the verse argue that it is a reference to what is written in the Book of Life, um, 
you know, as it's referred to in uh, Exodus 32 and Revelation 20, um, in light of the context of 1 Corinthians 4, this is a valid possibility of what the apostle intended since the subject matter surrounding this verse is on divine judgment. He reprimands the Corinthian church for speculating about the details on how people will be judged, charging them to leave it up to, quote-unquote, what has been written in the book of life. Uh, even though this particular interpretation of this passage is a possibility uh, with it being consistent with the rest of Scripture and all, as stated before, it is by no means certain. So, one thing which is certain, however, is that St. Paul was not teaching nor advocating for sola scriptura. If he was, as some, not all Protestants claim, as some, it would then mean that he would have been advocating for one of four principles which are inconsistent with the rest of his theology and teaching. The first one being that they are the that they are to only accept the Old Testament writings as authoritative, that they are to only accept those Old Testament and New Testament writings which have been recorded only up to the date that the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, around year 56. Three, that they are to accept orally transmitted doctrine as authoritative only up until it has been transmitted into writing and only while the apostles are still living. Then they are to disregard all oral teachings and adhere only to what is written. Or number four, that they are to only accept doctrine that has been transmitted to writing as authoritative. So the issues with these four standards in light of Sola Scriptura should immediately be clear. Um, no Protestant, I hope, would agree with the first option. Um, the first option being um, that they are to only accept the Old Testament writings as authoritative, <clears throat> nor would they agree with option two, which they, they are to only accept um, Old Testament and New Testament writings only recorded up until the year 56. Um, because if that were the case, then nothing after 1 Corinthians would qualify, such as the Gospel of John, Acts of the Apostles, the Letters to the Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Titus, 1st 2nd Timothy, Hebrews, James, 1st 2nd Peter, 1st 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and John's Revelation. All of these books would have had to be labeled as non-authoritative for the, for the faithful by the second standard. Uh, the third standard fails as well because, as we have stated before, for Sola Scriptura to be a viable doctrine rooted in Scripture, as Sola Scriptura should absolutely require of itself, there must be at least one verse within on, within all of Holy Scripture which states, quote, clearly enough for the ordinary believer to find it there and understand it, <laughs> that Scripture is sufficient. There must also be a verse which declares that oral tradition is to be disregarded once it has been recorded in writing um, by an apostle, um, assuming all oral traditions were written down in scripture, or that scripture is superior to oral tradition. But there are no verses which meet this criteria and meet these standards. Uh, the fourth option, which was that they're, they are to only accept doctrine that has been transmitted to writing, uh, the fourth option is also unusable because it outright contradicts Paul's ministerial command to stand fast and hold firm to the traditions that you were taught either by an oral statement or by a letter of ours, as he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, for 1 Corinthians 4.6 to actually be a foundation for this belief system of Sola Scriptura, as defendants who use this verse wish to claim, Paul would have been teaching two conflicting viewpoints. On the one hand, 
he would be teaching to adhere to and submit to the written word alone, and on the other hand, imploring adherence to both written and oral tradition. Along with all this, one major and final point must be made in relation to this verse. If Paul was indeed arguing for a doctrine such as Sola Scriptura, he would have been in deep conflict with his ministerial practices of the other apostles. A majority of the other apostles never wrote a single line found in Holy Scripture. Their ministries consisted of establishing churches through oral teaching. Were their ministries lesser than that of Paul, Peter, or John because they did not write? On top of this, the other apostles never taught Sola Scriptura. In fact, in contrast, John, one of the pillars of the church, says in uh, chapter when th- in um, Third John, verse thirteen, he says, "I have much to write to you, but I do not wish to write with pen and ink. Instead, I hope to see you soon, when we can talk face to face." So, why would Saint John communicate through writing his personal preference for or communication over writing, which he reiterates? almost word for word in, in uh, 2 John verse 12 as well, if, as followers of Sola Scriptura assert, Scripture trumps oral tradition and teaching. If an interpretation inherently challenges the integrity of the unified ministry of the Great Commission of the Apostles as a whole, then by default it is a false interpretation. Another primary scriptural ground which Protestants will take their stand on when it comes to Sola Scriptura is the quote-unquote noble Berean argument citing Acts 17. Uh, which goes, They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and for three weeks he argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked fellows out of the rabble, they gathered a crowd, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, crying, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard this. And when they had taken a a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were nobler than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of, of high standing as well as men. The argument made is that the Bereans are labeled by Luke as being noble because of the fact that they quote-unquote examined the scriptures as a rule to check against Paul's testimony. It's used in such a way by evangelicals to make the Bereans out to be sola scriptura followers, uh, but this is far from being true. Uh, First and foremost, the Bereans were Hellenistic Jews, and they only had the Old Testament available to them, uh, which is a point that we have exhausted many times now. And Sola Scriptura was not a tradition among the Jewish people. We have the um, we have written down what the traditions of the Jewish people uh, were, and this is not one of them. Um, secondly, they were labeled noble by comparison to the Thessalonians who rejected Paul and Silas after deliber- after deliberations and some conversions, and those who opposed Paul and Silas rioted and forced them out. 
those of Thessalonica also had scripture available to them, and they rejected Paul's preaching, even though he opened the scriptures to them in order to show them the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. The Thessalonians' own understanding of scripture did not line up with St. Paul's, so they rejected him and forced him out. The Bereans are praised because they received the word with all eagerness from Paul. In his article, Why the Bereans Rejected Sola Scriptura, uh, Steve Ray states, The Bereans searched the Torah no less than the Thessalonians, yet they were eager to accept words of God from the mouth of Paul, in addition to what they already held to be scripture, that is, the law and the prophets. Even if one claims that Paul preached the gospel in not a quote-unquote tradition, it is clear that the Bereans were accepting new revelation that was not contained in their scriptures. These Berean Jews accepted oral teaching, the tradition of the apostles, as equal to scripture, in addition to, and as an extension of, the Torah. This is further illustrated by the Christian community's reception of Paul's epistles as divinely inspired scripture. See 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Here, Peter seems to acknowledge Paul's writings as equal to the other scriptures, which can be presumed to refer to the Old Testament. By contrast, the Jews of Thessalonica would have condemned Peter's biblical exegesis at the Council of Jerusalem. They would have scoffed at the church's having authority over them. The Torah was all they needed. Those who held the Sola Scriptura rejected Paul because he claimed, he claimed to be the voice of additional revelation. And that was from uh, Steve Ray. In the end, Sola Scriptura is, as Patrick Madrid puts it, the Reformation's version of the Emperor's New Clothes. The formulation of this doctrine is rooted only within a rejection of the authority of the magisterium of the Holy Church and an unwillingness to submit and be unified to said authority and not based within Scripture whatsoever. As we have said before, <laughs> that uh, so Scriptura should definitely require of itself. Um, the few differing verses that may be used as ammunition and as ammunition to prove the sole sufficiency of scripture can be handled pretty similarly. Um, so to keep this episode to a reasonable uh, time, uh, I've not addressed every single verse, but I may you know dive deep into a few other verses in another episode. But what must be noted, however, is that not a single one of uh, the passages of scripture that I refer to um, that are used to defend this doctrine of the Protestant Revolution uses the word sufficient in reference to scripture itself. So proper food for thought is that we should definitely see scripture say that scripture itself is the foundation for Christianity while following Sola Scriptura, but we do not see this. What we do see, however, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 15 is, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I'm delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and the bulwark of truth. So, I've gone through a few verses here on um, so that are used by uh, Protestants who adhere to Sola Scriptura, <clears throat> and I feel like I've adequately addressed each one. Again, there are a few other straggling verses which I will probably address in another episode. But um, again, none of the verses, even the ones I didn't reference, say that scripture alone is sufficient as a rule of faith in coming to understand all the doctrines um, that are necessary 
for the faith. So from here, uh, in another episode, I'm going to be going into more of the problems that rise up from this belief system. Um, But for now, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. If you like this episode or this podcast in general, please share it on social media and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support Upon the Rock, please consider following us on Patreon. Also, don't forget to go to upontherockblog.com to keep up on all the content we have to offer with much more on the way. Upon the Rock would like to thank all of our supporters and we ask you to continue to pray for us. Thank you.